1: Writing a thing which was wrong was false. And it was. Time marched on, couple of months. We met at a gathering point, And here we were, head to head, face on. He passed me. He didn't talk to me. If you don't think that cut me right to my scotch heart, that cut. We lived on the same floor. I went up to go to my room. He was leaving his room, and we walk along the corridor, and we face each other. Nobody in the place. Just he and I, in the dark corridor. He was just going to pass me. I said, Grant, I say, Grant, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with life and man. If people who like each other as much as you and I do can't have a difference of opinion, there's something wrong. He put out his hand, he said,
2: Tommy, I was wrong. Yes, Granny was a very human guy. He had a tiny streak of vanity, and he had a right to it. But he had an awful lot of integrity. N.E.A. sports editor, Harry Grayson, can fill you in on that. Brandon Rice had that wonderful dignity that made everybody look up to him. As in later years, we called him the dean, and he he rather liked it. He... He liked it. He, didn't, he didn't care for uh, an off-color story. He liked an amusing story, but he'd walk out on anything that wasn't absolutely legitimate. I remember they signed Billy Kahn and uh, Joe Lewis to box a benefit show. Grandin Rice was chairman of the committee, and Jacobs, the promoter, agreed to let them box for the 100% charity show. When it developed that Lewis owed Jacobs a hundred and some odd thousand dollars in tax money, And Conn had borrowed money from Jacobs, and Jacobs wanted that money back. Grandin Rice just walked out of the room. If any deal in his book wasn't absolutely right and legitimate, he wanted no truck with it. Granny Rice could handle a typewriter with the best of them. In fact, I believe he was one of the fastest writers in the business. The typewriter was one mechanical gadget he could cope with. But some of the other modern devices gave him trouble. Frank Graham used to help out
3: well in 1950 the world series in philadelphia granny had been ill just before that granny and red smith and i had a suite in the bellevue and the manager sent up a large screen television set for us so the next morning he was wasn't feeling well at all and i insisted he not go to the ballpark that he stay back at the hotel and see the game on television since he didn't have to be at the ballpark since he didn't have to write a play-by-play story he could see the game on there, write a story, call a messenger, and get it off. Well, he finally but reluctantly agreed to do it, and then said, but I don't know how to turn on the television set. So I left it on. So Bill Corm and I came back from the game, and going up to our room, walking down the hall, Bill said, uh, Granny must have company. And I said, no. We said I hear voices coming from there. I said, it's the television Said, He doesn't know how to turn it off. So here was Granny sitting in front of the television set looking at something, either howdy doody or a similar performance. And I said, uh, How was the ball game? Well, the ball game was wonderful. The rest of the stuff has been terrible. And I said, Why didn't you turn it off? And he said, I don't know how to turn it off. And just then, Red Smith came in and hearing that said, It wasn't that. He was just too polite to turn the set off and walk out on the actors. Red Smith. If ever I knew anyone who could do very little
4: besides type and play golf with his hands. It was Granny. In the days that I knew him, his fingers, his mechanical gifts were, well, somewhat more than limited. Copy readers who were on the desks handling his copy in Granny's younger days have told me that it was immaculate, it was just Remarkably clean, and if they were pressed on deadline, it was never necessary to edit his copy to go through it for corrections because there were almost surely not going to be any errors. They'd grab the copy and railroad it right to the composing room. By the time I knew him, arthritis had stiffened up his fingers a little bit and. I always had the impression, looking at his copy, that he had written it in longhand and edited it on the typewriter because it seemed to me there were more longhand uh, insertions than there were lines of typescript. His typewriter would jump a couple of spaces between letters, and he rattled down so fast. He was a remarkably fast
2: writer. Even in his late 60s and early 70s, Granny Rice kept up the pace traveling all over the country, covering the major sports events. He held on to that enthusiasm he had as a cub reporter just off the Vanderbilt campus. But his closest friends began to notice he was beginning to tire just a bit. Joe Stevens, executive vice president of the Stevens Catering Company, discovered this one night in 1953.
3: The time when it was first noticeable that Granny had lost quite a bit of ground was the night of the Marciano-Charles fight at the Yankee Stadium. As usual, Granny checked into our office quite a while before the semifinal. He'd probably there an hour before the main bout was to go on. When it came time for the main bout to go, he says, I'm tired, and we had one of our top men take him and carry his typewriter to his seat in the working press. This is the first time that there would been real evidence of... uh, uh, that Granny was not quite up to himself physically.
2: Early in the 1930s, Granny Rice had joined the North American Newspaper Alliance, headed by John Wheeler, his old friend from the early reporting days in New York. Granny's column was distributed by the NANA from that time until his death on July
5: 13, 1954. Brandon Rice lived a happy life and never seemed to be afraid of death. I suppose he contemplated it as there's anyone who passes 70, but he didn't fear it. I believe he looked at it as Henry Macon did, the inescapable last act. Grant's last column was released for publication Monday, July 19th, a few days after his death, since he wrote on a schedule that required preparing most of his work four or five days in advance. The title of the column, The Sport light. His final effort is headed. They're always replaced. It begins as old stars in baseball fade out. The gaps are filled largely from the most unexpected spots on the map.
2: John Wheeler had the sad duty of writing 30 on Granny's last column.
4: Shortly after Granny Rice died, I had a letter from his great friend John McNulty. Rider who used to go to the races a good deal with Granny. John wrote,
5: Granny always seemed to me to be a saint who drank dry martinis and bet on horses. I didn't mean to be irreverent, because I guess under the horse plane and the rise of plain water on the side and swear words now and then, I may be a kind of religious man. Saints, I think, must have been people who had hardly any faults, possibly none at all, although I, I, I don't believe that. And saints must have been people who did a lot of good for other people. Preferably without uh, a great hullabaloo about it. Just the same, I think I'd be nervous and pretty self-conscious if I were ever hanging around with uh, any of the saints I read about or heard about. Those saints were so good they'd make me nervous, make me feel like a heel in a bum problem. That wasn't the way it was with Granny. He measured up to my own personal definition of a saint. A jolly companionable one that was enormous fun to be with. But one thing, I don't think Granny ever hurt anybody in his life. You can go through the thousands of columns he wrote, and I bet you won't find ten knocks. And if there are ten knocks, then the odds are six to and even that they were against real certified Asian-the-wood heels and no good nicks. So he's a saint, all right, Granny was. A nice, easy going, easy to be with saint. And without half trying, too.
3: Grantlin had what I consider the tip top philosophy. For when the one great scorer comes to mark against your name, he writes not that you won or lost, but how you played the game.
2: This has been the story of Grantland Rice A man who believed that good sportsmanship was a way of life I suppose that many of you listening in knew Granny If so, I hope we brought back some fond memories But if you never knew Grantland Rice Well, you missed something This is Tom Manning Granny, wherever you are Thanks, and good night.
1: You've been listening to another transcribed feature of NBC's Biographies in Sound, presented every week at this time. They Knew Grantland Rice was written and edited by Elliot Frankel and Pat Tracy, produced under the supervision of Arthur Wakeley for NBC News. Your narrator was Tom Manning of
0: WTAM Cleveland.